Let's get right into it. Lindsay Reischer is a freelance editor, writer, and college English instructor. In a different episode, I interviewed her about her hard work, creativity, and published essays and poetry. But Lindsay is also a world traveler. She's been to India, South Korea, England, France, Prince Edward Island, and Sicily. Today, we are going to talk about how travel can not just excite your life, but it can actually transform you into a better person. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Tim. How's it going? Good. Well, you've been to a lot of places, and I think a lot of people can relate. A lot of people would love to travel, have traveled, or just really want to. When you were, when were you first aware that this was something you really wanted to do? Well, my family and I would go on vacations in the summer when I was growing up, and the destination always changed. Maybe we'd go to Michigan to visit the Great Lakes or to Florida uh, or to Arizona to visit a family friend and then also see the Grand Canyon along the way. And those trips were special. And so I think as a kid, I really connected travel with togetherness with a good kind of newness. As someone not really good with change, this was kind of a change that was was a fun sort of thing for me. Um and I think that um, a lot of times wanting to travel has been connected to people. Um, so, for example, um, South Korea came about because my high school friend Jisoo invited me to South Korea where her family was. And she said, come and stay with my family for a couple of weeks. And that sounded so attractive because I'd be with my friend in a new space. Um, so I think I became aware of wanting to travel um, in that particular experience in high school. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you about India first, but since we're already talking about South Korea, do you have a preference, India or South Korea first? Um, that's a good question. South Korea happened much longer ago. Um, I'm happy with whatever order you want to do it in. Well, let's let's stick with South Korea because okay. you just mentioned uh, the friendship connection and how yeah. for somebody who might be a little bit nervous about change, these are very, very positive changes that you can make mm -hmm. when you travel. So when exactly did you go to South Korea and how long oh. were you there? It was a long time ago. It was back in 2009 um, and I was there about two weeks. Okay. When you were there, what was the very first thing that surprised you? Right off the plane, I got a little uh, bottle of orange juice, and I was like, this has no taste. But that was because um, I had to adjust to a less sweet diet. American diets are full of sugar, um, and so it was really good for me to kind of be exposed to a healthier diet. But yeah, that, that first taste of orange juice, I'm like, wow, like I am going to be be having to adapt in many ways, and one of them is my palate. Okay, so let's briefly talk about the food. Um, just how did that go? It was good. Um, there was some 
you know, culture shock happens in a lot of ways. And I definitely did experience some stomach problems. Um, but the food in South Korea that I experienced overall was a lot healthier. Um, but because I was so used to things like breakfast cereals for breakfast, as opposed to like rice and meat, um, I did have a little bit of struggle at first, but, um, it was, it was really neat to get to taste different things, um, to, um, you know, I remember being in, uh, a shopping store called E-Mart and getting to try, a, a squid tentacle that was like a sample. Um, and it was so good. It was very sweet and chewy. And so getting to, um, have new taste experiences was a joy. And again, it was, I think sometimes people can feel like that that's scary, but it's less scary. I think when you're doing it with a friend of yours who you trust and who, you know, it's like, well, I want you to be comfortable and I want you to like expand your, uh, your tastes a little bit more. So I, I appreciated that. How, how old were you? Again? I was 18. 18. And, and what yeah. was your friend's name? Uh, Jisoo. Jisoo. So when Jisoo said, hey, try this squid technical, what did you say? Well, I mean, I remember being a little nervous. It wasn't her who told me to try it. It was actually, you, as, as you can imagine, in grocery stores, traditionally, anywhere, there's people who offer you things. Um, maybe it's a piece of cheese or something like that here, but... Um, one of the workers at the store handed me the squid tentacle, and I, I, I was a little bit nervous. It was something I hadn't tried before, but I, you know, it was, there's a spirit of adventure, I think, that sometimes comes over me when I'm in a new place. It's almost like the limits I set on myself, like, in normal, ordinary life kind of uh, go away a little bit. Um, and so it was maybe, like, a bit nerve-wracking, but, like, it was also just really fun. What did it look like? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I think it was, the one I tried, if I remember correctly, was kind of like, it almost reminded me, I don't know, it was like white. And it looked a little bit like root-like in a way, because it's like, it's a little bit of a tentacle. Um, and um, there weren't any like, I don't know, I guess some people might imagine like suction pieces on it. Like, I don't remember that. It was pretty um, smooth. Um, so smooth like a root. Yeah, a little thicker than a root, though. Okay, mm -hmm. and texture. Yeah, it was chewy. Okay, mm -hmm. and if you had to compare it to anything, what would you compare it to? Hmm. I don't know. There are some things that I've tried throughout my life that I just can't really exactly think of a comparison right off the bat with. So. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I can't really think of one. <laughs> That's exactly fair one. enough. It sounds like a completely exotic experience. If you don't even know what to compare it to, that sounds really exciting. And it was kind of sweet and chewy and delicious. Yeah, and I mean, I think it was just the raw form. I mean, if you've had calamari or things like that, um, you can maybe get that idea of what the texture was like. But this one was the almost like cooked carrots versus um, raw carrots, you know? So there's a little bit of a different texture there. But yeah, it was good. 
fascinating. Was there anybody in South Korea that you think you will always remember? Yeah, um, my friend's parents, um, and especially um, Jisoo's mom, um, they were so kind to us. Um, they not only let us stay with them in their apartment, but they also, um, Jisoo's mom showed us around. She was there um, when we visited places like the markets. Um, we were near and within the capital Seoul. And so it was so good to have her present. Her mother also really helped me when I was feeling sick as I was kind of adjusting to the food. And so I'm so thankful for the presence of a family, um, my friend's family in this, in this new space. It definitely made me feel more at home. What was something that you would do over there for fun? there were a lot of just experiences of like walking through markets there was one time we visited kind of like an artist's uh different like artists almost like studios they were kind of um showing different uh paintings and things like that and I remember that someone had um a line from uh the Dylan Thomas Villanelle about it said do not go gentle into that good night and then there were some um, Korean characters also written and I just remember feeling like wow like, this is a connection to like my English uh, literature class back at home and um, uh, GC's mom is an artist and so it was neat to just be there to um, and, and to see kind of art and to be part of that. How big was the city? Oh, it's, it's very big. I mean, I'd have to look up how many people are in Seoul right now. I can probably do that. Like well over a million, something like that. Let's see. Uh, 9.776 million as of 2017. And uh, I guess kind of the reputation is clean, modern, beautiful, uh, just a wonderful place to be. Was that kind of your experience of Seoul? It was, um, and I think through an 18-year-old's eyes, I was really, I'm definitely still in like a honeymoon phase with Seoul. It's, um, I think we all know that every place has its flaws, um, but as an 18-year-old, I, I wasn't seeing that. Um, I, I left with such a good impression of Seoul as being this kind of like beautiful almost like perfect place. And it's, it's important to note that that, that that isn't the truest vision I could have of a place. Um, but I am thankful for young eyes that could appreciate all the goodness um, of the place. Um, but again, just so listeners know, just that reality of, you know, every place is going to have its, its problems, just as every person has their flaws. And so, um, the fact that I didn't see it there, um, that was something for a later trip when I would kind of learn, wow, like, I need to think a little more critically about the places that I'm in. But I did, I did really enjoy this place. It was very, very modern, as you say. Um, there were some things that really reminded me of um, the West, um, and there were some things that were, were totally different than my experience. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. What reminded you of the West, and then what did not? 
Mm. Um, what's that reminded me of the West? Um, I think there was a lot of kind of, I don't know, I think like a lot of the places that we visited, you know, the idea of like kind of, um, maybe like capitalist structures or things that are buying and selling and, um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of commerce. Um, and I think, um, just the fact that there were so many things to do, the fact that there were the presence of like things like pizza hut, you know, um, just were reminders of home, um, things that were different, and this, I think, isn't just something that you'd see in South Korea, but for me, it was like the landscape was very different, a lot more mountainous. Um, the presence of, of Buddhism um, was something that I was less familiar with. Um, but I'll say there was also um, the Catholic Cathedral, Myeongdong Cathedral, um, and that was there too. Um, so that's another piece that was familiar, going back to what you said. I remember seeing Oh my goodness, I, it was some Transformers movie, I think. Again, it was American, but it had been like, um, there were, I think there were Korean subtitles, or maybe it was the other way around. So it was either in, I think it was in English with Korean subtitles. So again, the familiar and the unfamiliar were often blended. Like at Pizza Hut, you could get sweet potatoes as a topping. That's very popular in South Korea, and that wasn't. That isn't something you could get in America. So I loved how, where I thought things were familiar, it had been adapted in many ways to fit South Korea and what people would want there. And I think that that was, that was cool to see. I think uh, it was useful as a first uh, travel experience um, to, to see just enough of the familiar to be odd and, and happy with the unfamiliar. Um, it kind of was a, a less hard culture shock than, than um, some of the other places that I visited, so. That's just really fascinating. Is there a person over there that you think you will always remember? Um, I think we mentioned my friend's name. And yes, I will definitely remember them. And of course, my friend, um, she is currently in the States, so, but she really opened the world of wanting to explore different cultures for me. So Jisoo will, I think, always be that catalyst for me. Because um, even when we weren't in South Korea, when we were in high school, in American high school in Illinois, she was... Um, sharing her culture with me in a way that, um, you know, that's, that's so en enriching to, to be exposed at a young age to, to, uh, to people from other cultures and different experiences. I, I so believe that in, enriches um, life for all of us when we can be exposed to different cultures. Oh, 100% agree. It used to be kind of a cliche, at least maybe in the 19th century, that when people would finish their college education, the next step was always to travel. 
uh, maybe also in the 20th century, that that was how you completed your education. You went mm -hmm. to the university, you studied very hard, you read about all kinds of places in the library, uh, you did all kinds of work, and then when you were done, it was useful to go to other continents and to experience uh, how other people live and to just really see these things and just broaden your existence. It, it just sounds to me like you've always done that, and that's just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I just want to compliment you on being able to jump in with both feet to a wide variety of places and to do that kind of thing. Uh, well, thanks, Tim. It, it, I don't think it would have happened without um, friendship, honestly. I think that's often... I think friends can really open up new worlds for us, so... Um, I'm very thankful for that. What a monumental influence your friend was on you. Well, let me uh, just mention, South Korea was actually featured in a book that I read called The Smartest Kids in the World by Amanda Ripley. And uh, in this book, and then through some extra reading, I found out that South Korea is tied for first in the world when it comes to education. And then the book said that they are also trying to study Finland because Finland is the other nation that is tied for first in education. And then simultaneously, I remember reading that South Korea is very prosperous, that it may be the 13th highest per capita income in the world. Um, either that or it's the world's 13th largest economy out of roughly 200 countries. So in other words, it's a pretty well-educated, very prosperous country, and it's coming up in the world for sure. Um, what is something about South Korea that people don't know? Well, um, I can't speak for other people, but I, I can tell you something that I didn't know when I went. Um, as I said, I was near the capital, um, Seoul, when I was in South Korea. And it was amazing to, for me to see a much older culture. You know, when we think of America being only around for a couple hundred years, um, I really loved seeing um, the buildings. Now, with such a high population, um, the way to build modern buildings is up. So there's a lot of modern buildings, but in the midst of that, you can see traditional buildings that haven't been taken down to make room for more new. Um, and I, I really like that. And then that being surrounded by this um, more hilly, mountainous landscape was was really neat for me, who came from the Midwest of, of very flat land in Illinois. Um, so there, there's a history, I think, um, and, and a solidity, um, if that makes sense, in, in what I saw of like, yeah, this is all part of one piece, you know, who we are is part of who we were and who we're becoming. So I just, I really like that. That is fascinating. Uh, what you're saying kind of reminds me just a little bit of what I've read about Rome, which mm -hmm. is that anytime somebody wants to build something, let's say I want to build a house or a hotel or I don't know, a 7-Eleven, they have to do sort of an archaeological exploration to make sure that they don't wipe something out that was there 2,000 years ago. Um, they, they have to do just a little bit of an exploration. I don't know how much digging they have to do. They just, they don't want to wreck their history. And that's a little bit of what I'm catching from you is that in South Korea, you can see the past right in front of you. 
that there's these very old houses and buildings surrounded by the hills, and it's, it's just kind of like a pop-up book or something where their history is just displayed for them just as they walk down the street. Yeah. I think that that's a cool way to put it. Well, and I just also love the idea that they know who they are because they know who they were, and then that helps them to figure out where they're going. That's just beautiful. Just beautiful what you've said. Well, let's transition to India. Recently, you did go to India. What brought this trip about? Sure. Um, so, it had been on my heart to go to India to work alongside Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity um, for a couple years before it actually happened. Um, you know, you hear about Mother Teresa and her work in Kolkata, and I was very interested in in seeing that work in action um in summer of 2018 i saw a post in a group i follow on facebook um, about these trips that were being led by um a guide um and these trips are being led for post-college adults um usually i feel like a lot of trips to kolkata are are more build as kind of mission trips and they happen more at the college, like undergrad level. And so I prayed that an opportunity would come up where I could go, um, though I was not an undergrad. Um, and so this ended up happening. Um, I ended up going at the very end of 2018 and then into January of 2019. Um, Okay, so then you were over there. Tell us about everything, um, just from your time stepping off the airplane to getting back on. Sure. So it was a three-pronged trip. Um, we spent the first days um, there learning about Indian culture and seeing some of the more like touristy spots like the Taj Mahal. The second part of the trip took us to Kolkata um, to work alongside Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity at the various work sites in that city. Um, and then the third part of the trip was kind of more like a pilgrimage or retreat. Um, we visited the tomb of St. Thomas the Apostle, um, the first who first brought Catholicism to um, India. We also spent a day on a houseboat in, um, on the beautiful backwaters of Kerala um, in the south of India. So um, that's kind of what we did in a nutshell. Um, I really appreciated the time um, our guide spent telling us about India and Indian culture. He, being from India himself and spending much of his life there, that it was a privilege to learn from him. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing the seeing uh, India through his eyes and then kind of seeing it um with his help, because there's so much we couldn't see, you know, in, in being there for such a short time. What did he say or what type of overall vibe did he leave you with? I mean, I think, I think he being from India knows, um, both the beautiful and, and the difficult of the culture. And so I think he left me though with an appreciation for it. I love the, the focus on family 
Um, I know, I'm not sure if this is modern parlance. I mean, they used to talk about like individualist versus collectivist cultures. Um, but there's definitely a, uh, a focus on being part of a family. Your family is like your social network and your family is there to catch you. Um, if anything happens, that's anything bad happens to you. Um, in a American culture where we're so often separated from our families and it's almost expected that we'll leave home, um, like when we're 18 and, you know, cause that's, that's seen as good. I loved that there was a different approach in India and it was not necessarily seen as good to be like, quote unquote, out on your own by yourself. Like I, I needed that perspective at this particular moment in my life where I've really been trying to figure out, you know, I live pretty far away from my family right now. There's an opportunity to go home or closer to home. Should I take that? And so that was a very um, kind of other personal conversations I was having with myself kind of um, came to the forefront in this uh, trip. So I appreciated that a lot. Would you say that it's a hidden benefit to travel that you get away from everything and it offers you a fresh perspective on your own life? Yeah, it does. It offers a lot of um, time for critical thinking and, and evaluation of yourself as well. Um, I think this was the trip. It, it was funny because like South Korea and India are 10 years apart. And I noticed myself being a lot more of a, a critical thinker in this culture, like thinking about the impact. Um, I, I, I often felt like a foreigner in this country. And the thing that um, India and South Korea had in common was they were a little more homogenous in, in certain ways than, you know, in, in England, for example, where and, and in America itself, where you see just so many different cultures, I really felt like I stood out in both uh, South Korea and in and in India um, because of the way I looked. And so it offered a lot of moments of reflection, reflections as to, I, I felt very embarrassed this time around in India, not knowing the language or knowing pieces of the language. Um, and I think that that, has challenged me to be, because when you come into a country, I think you come in as a guest. And if I've learned anything from the times in which I've traveled, it's that you want to be a good guest, you know? And so I, I think I, I spent a lot more time thinking about like, wow, how could I be a better traveler in the mm. future? Um, because that, I, a lot of times we have the luxury of knowing that if, if someone's going to speak anything else, it's probably going to be English. And so I don't, I'd like to rely on that less in the future. So. Let's, let's pause on being a good traveler. Uh, how do you, I used to be a cliche a long time ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, there were books with titles like The Ugly American. And some of it was centered around, I guess, tourists behaving badly. But let's go in the opposite direction. When you think of being a good traveler, what does that mean? 
a really good question. I think it means coming into the culture with some knowledge of that culture. It's kind of like if you are going to, um, I don't know, I, I guess I'm thinking about it kind of like if you're going to go on a date with someone, like your goal, hopefully, in that is to get to know more about that person, right? Um, and to really listen to them. And of course, there's some exchange where you are also sharing about yourself. But really, first, I think as a traveler, you need, I, I want to come in anyways, humbly. And like, wow, I have so much to learn. There's so much I don't know. And I think that that can be scary because I think we're taught in American culture that we need to know things, that we need to be experts in this. And I think that that might be where some of that ugliness comes out sometimes when we go into other cultures because I think we're like, well, um, I feel embarrassed that I don't know, so I need to act like I know. And I think people like it when you try to speak the language, even if it's even if you do a terrible job. And they might switch right back over to English, but at least you made that attempt, right? To say, hey, like I care enough about your culture to try to figure out how to ask, like, can I get a fork in, in your language as opposed to mine, you know? And so um, I think that it's, it's an attitude thing first. And then also, you know, I think stereotypes happen and they're also kind of promulgated by our own culture you know, like the wild Americans, like in college, like what college life is like has been really stereotyped, you know, what, how Americans act like anywhere ha has been stereotyped. Unfortunately, those stereotypes are based around, you know, also true things that have happened. But I think in order to break those stereotypes, I think we have to be um, listeners in the cultures that we enter. And to come with a kind of studently perspective, like there is so much I want to learn. Well, that sounds beautiful. What I'm picking up is have a posture of humility and of listening and just have a passion to learn about the culture and yeah. maybe do some reading and or talking with people before you go, <laughs> just so you could absorb as much as possible. Yeah. Was there anybody in India that you met where you just thought, I will always remember this person? That's a good question. Um, the first, like, kind of a group of people came to mind. Um, the kind of hub of things um, with the missionaries of charity was at their mother house. Um, and so every morning, all the volunteers who, by the way, were from all around the world would gather for mass with the missionaries of charity. And before heading to the work sites, we'd gather in the basement for conversation for some chai, slices of bread and bananas. And it was neat to just share life with them before going into the work sites. But another person who really comes to mind, um, I didn't get to know her well, but what she did for me particularly really stands out. Um, our guide invited a few of uh, a cousin of his and a friend of his on the trip, and his friend's wife let me try on um, one of her saris and just like 
she also, I, I was so moved. Not only did I get to try on her sari, but she like removed the bangles from her own wrist and like um, the necklace she was wearing and let me wear those. And I felt in that moment very um, welcomed into a culture that wasn't my own, but I was being invited to to wear something as personal as clothing and jewelry that belonged to someone else and and to experience that particular clothing um, and a piece of of that particular culture. And that really moved me a lot. So I'll definitely remember those things. That's a, just a very poetic image and just a very beautiful thought. I just really appreciate that. Did India change how you see the world? That's a great question. Um, yeah. Um, it really woke me up as we've talked about um, earlier that the way we do things in the West is not necessarily and isn't the best and only way to do things. Um, we talked about family, for example. It really brought to mind kind of some of America's deficiencies with 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 the emphasis we place on family. Like I just think of the elderly too and how oftentimes they are, are set aside by our society. While in India, they're seen as people to be looked up to and honored. And they're often um, in the homes of their children being cared for. And I just, and, and that definitely is not to say, I know that sometimes people require special care and need to be in places. So it's definitely not a judgment on American culture. It's more of just like, wow, like there's a different way to do things. Like the way that we do things in America isn't the only way. And I think I knew that, but like sometimes you need to go and see that it's different to really realize, yeah, this is different. Um, I think India also made me aware of how much I don't know about the world and encouraged me to learn more. Um, I think the feeling of feeling like an outsider um, in this particular country um, allowed me to ask myself some of the harder questions about, you know, how how am I engaging with people back at home? Um, how is how do I approach um, people of different cultures? Do I do I ever feel or realize the fact that there's the potential to feel torn between your home that's so far away and then America where you are making your life. And so those were a few things that kind of over time and with reflection came into wider relief um, in in this environment and then after. That's, that's also just beautiful and just very insightful. Um, what attracted you to India initially uh, mm -hmm. of all the places you could have gone? There's something, I guess it depends upon the list. There's 193 countries in the world on some people's list. There's 202 in other people's list. Why India? Mm -hmm. Well, again, it was knowing a friend uh, from India <clears throat> and in wanting to learn more about this friend, um, my desire to know India um, but also, um, as I said earlier, too, wanting to learn more about Mother Teresa and to see her work in action. Um, I think there are so many places 
and so many people saying like we need to do good but to see someone who kind of did it you know and is, is working to do good still even though she's gone um, the missionaries of charity continue that um the combination of those things attracted me to india but again i think we have to put the location in that friend first because i don't think i think it is friendship that's really brought awareness of particular places to me so i think friendship first and then um wanting to know more about mother Teresa. when you were with the missionaries of charity what did you do what did i do yeah um i was assigned mostly to a place called premdan and it's a uh place that tends to um people who are elderly and um also have no means of support um and so um i worked in the women's section of that um particular place and did things from like uh hanging up wet laundry to um helping uh uh there was always a chai a chai uh time that would happen so chai tea around like 10 or 11 so passing out chai and biscuits um or um helping clean up after lunch there were um quite a few chores that um the people who are in charge of premdan um wanted done and so we would help um usually up until the early afternoon so be from like 9 a.m. to maybe really exactly remember I'm going to say like a little beyond noon maybe 1 or 2 I think <laughs> so you probably yeah. put in a good 4 or 5 hours of physical labor per day while you were there yeah it was good for me do you miss it that's a good question um i I struggled a lot I think in Premdan trying to again with all the things we talked about you know really wanting to be able to speak to the people I was working with and knowing there were so many things I did wrong and you know I I was told no I was doing it wrong many times and so but again being exposed in that way to being such a non-expert and needing to be shown everything again puts me in a space where i can really receive knowledge from other people and learn how to do things correctly so i don't know i would say i miss miss i do miss india but it's in a it's in a different way than maybe like south korea when i got back um i was a whole lot more tired throughout this trip um mm. i think i just being older i didn't really adapt to the jet lag as quickly and um i i struggled a lot with just yeah just this very is a mental fatigue as well as like a physical fatigue and so um just struggling with those questions so maybe i don't miss the the, the fatigue but i do i am so glad i had those experiences of being exposed to everything that india is and was and and was in that small experience i had of the country because again i can't say i've experienced india it's such a big country you know so right. there's so much more to be learned and so much more to be 
uh, scenic experience. The so la- last- I, I was asked if I would go back, um, and I think I would. Um, I'm not sure the time is right exactly yet, but I think I would go back. I want to pause and maybe just do a little comparison contrast between India and South Korea. So South Korea was exhilarating, and you were 18, and then India was 10 years later and maybe more fatiguing. Um, The thing is, India has started to become a lot richer, and it has really come up in the world since the end of the Cold War. But but I think a lot of people would say India is just such a big mix. I mean, with 1.1, I think it is, billion people, 1.1, 1.2 that makes it three times the size of the United States. And so there's just a lot of wealth. There's a lot of middle class. There's a lot of poverty. I'm just wondering if maybe in South Korea, you were kind of in a, I don't know, maybe more of the easy street. And then on India, maybe you saw uh, just some really dire poverty. After all, you were working with Mother Teresa's Missionary of Charities. Do you think it was the environments that you were in that drove your fatigue or exhilaration? I think in part um, also just, yeah, a little more experience with like what it means to go into another culture and, and to, there was always kind of that embarrassed side of me. I think that was like, oh, like I might not be doing this right. And I was less aware of that in South Korea, but um, yeah, I think you're right. It was definitely I think in South Korea, there you could argue that it's a little more of a westernized experience, even though it is in, um, you know, the Eastern Hemisphere, right? And so, in India, though, it was, I, I felt more that the ex, that the experience was a lot more out of my comfort zone in many ways. Um, I think to. Um, just to, I don't know, there's so many facets, right, to, to a history. And I, I felt that in South, or not in South Korea, in India, there was so much I didn't realize. Like, for example, in Kolkata, I only knew it as a place of poverty, but it's actually one of the richest cities in India. What? I think it's the third um, richest. Um, but it reminds me that we need many stories about particular places. Um, uh, there's a lovely TED talk um, called The Danger of a Single Story. And it was only leaving Kolkata because I saw the impoverished side of things because that's where I was working. But there was so much more to Kolkata that I didn't see. Right? And so I... I'm like, I need to go back someday to Kolkata and see it for its its richness as well. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because like we live in Kansas City where there's extreme poverty and extreme wealth and there, those things exist and there are just many different stories happening. And I think that that probably was also the same in South Korea. I just wasn't as aware. And I think that that might have made South Korea much more of like a, wow, this is like the best thing ever. Like, I love it. And I don't want to downplay that because I'm so glad that it was that kind of experience because I think it encouraged me to keep traveling. Um, 
I think it's just good to acknowledge again that, you know, there are, there are many stories and we don't want to like Disneyfy <laughs> to make it all like kind of like this Disney vision of like, oh, this is just like the most beautiful, wonderful thing. Like there are, there are, there's beauties to be had and acknowledged. There are also things that every nation struggles with and that their own people would be like, oh, this is what makes me so angry about like my particular country, just like we have here in America, you know? So I just have to, I'm try, I try to keep all of those things that may sound a little conflicting, but really I don't think are. It's just that there are so many things to consider when, when being a guest in another country. So, yeah. That is beautifully said. I just love the idea that we should get rid of these quick and easy stereotypes that maybe we develop about a country. Uh, you know, like people could say, well, India, that's very foreign and exotic and completely different than the United States. Um, but then when you get there, you find out very quickly just a few things. Uh, I, I guess I've known a bunch of people from India. I think they have 23 separate languages in 23 different states. Uh, people think of, Hin- of the country as primarily Hindu, but there's hun- maybe 100 million Muslims. There's something like, I think it could be... 60 million Catholics. Uh, it's just a very, very diverse place, and it's an ancient place. So, so I think uh, I just really like your idea that you could live there your entire lifetime and just never really scratch the surface mm-hmm. of it. So how about this? This is a crazy question. If somebody gave you a million dollars to live in India for all of next year, would you accept and if so, where would you stay and what would you do? <laughs> um, that's a great question. That makes me laugh um, because I'd be really interested to know why someone would give me a million dollars. I feel like um, I think what I – that million I probably wouldn't need for, for a year. So I hope that I could help maybe um, – kind of locally owned businesses, uh, like expand their vision a little bit more. But in terms of what I want to do, I'd really like to teach um, maybe like creative writing to women at the university level, if I were to go back to India. And I'd like to take um, uh, Hindi language classes so I could learn more about Indian poetry and literature. I don't know where I'd stay in the nation. I'd be very open to um, someone with a little more knowledge to guide me in that direction. Um, So... Maybe you could change cities every month. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be very nomadic. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Well, let's uh, shift over to Prince Edward Island, um, okay. which I think if some people hear about Prince Edward Island, the first thing they think about is Anne of Green Gables, which I, I think we can get to maybe just in a little bit. Uh, when did you go and how long were you there? Sure. Um, I went there twice. Um, once in 2017 to do research on the author of Anna Green Gables, L.M. Montgomery, and then once in 2018 to present the paper that was the result of that research um, at an L.M. Montgomery conference. And each time I was there for about a week. Um, and just as a side note, because I, I actually don't know like how many people would know Prince Edward Island without the Anna Green Gables connection. Um, yeah, L.M. Montgomery lived in Prince Edward Island. It's, it's in Canada um, for a good portion of her life. And that's kind of the location of um, 
where these fictional books in the Green Gables are set. Okay, so tell us a story about your time in Prince Edward Island. Great question. Um, so Charlottetown is where you would fly into. Um, and uh, there is a beautiful hostel in Charlottetown that I stayed uh, both times I was there. I highly recommend it if you're, if you're traveling there, especially if you're on a budget. It's beautiful. They give you a lovely little breakfast every morning. I think their specialty is uh, uh, banana bread with like mini chocolate chips in it. Um, but it's really neat. It's a great hub to meet people from, again, all over the world. Really neat. Um, I really recommend renting a car if you go there because the drive to Cavendish, where the Green Gables house is, is kind of far away from Charlottetown. Um, you're going to see a lot of natural um, environment. There's a lot of things that are pretty unaltered there. Um, and the sea is just beautiful because, again, an island surrounded by um, a lot of water. Okay, so when you're there, people sometimes think of Canada as being, I don't know, maybe very similar to the United States, but mm -hmm. were there any differences that just, I don't know, kind of jumped out at you? Um, I, I guess I, I haven't, I by no means have had tons of experiences in Canada, but I did find that this part, this part of Canada to be different than other experiences in bigger cities. Um, I think that what I enjoyed was there was a lot more downtime in a certain sense. Like I could explore like Charlottetown, their kind of like downtown area and walk around to kind of like a waterfront area and things like that. And I felt that I could kind of go at my own pace. There wasn't as much hustle and bustle, though I was there during kind of like tourist season, which I think goes from around May to September, just because the island then the weather gets a little harsher um, after that. But um, it, I think what most changed in this place was my perspective on research. Um, I loved that someone like Ella Montgomery was so fully studied and the conference was so, I don't know, it was the most personal like conference that I've ever been to. Like people really cared about this particular character that I loved as well. And so it was neat to see like there was such a niche um, in terms of what we were all discussing. Um, so cool. Well, people love Anne of Green Gables. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just tell us just a little bit about either Anne of Green Gables or what your presentation was all about. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Anne. I grew up watching the, oh, I don't know when they were made. The, I think from maybe like the 80s, the Anna Green Gables and Anna Avonlea. I really love those movies. I really relate to Anne. I think she's the fictional character I relate to the most. Um, she's, she's an orphan uh, adopted by um, a brother and sister who are older. And she's just kind of, she's precocious and a, a bit of a romantic and really um, bit of a fiery temper. She, but she's also um, a teacher and a writer and I really relate to that as well. Um, 
my presentation was really looking at Ella Montgomery's uh, poetry writing and so kind of what her poetic voice was like. Um, so it was a little off course of Anne, though Anne herself is a bit of a poetic speaker. So <laughs> it's kind of, there are some connections there. Absolutely. Um, when you were there on the island, did you meet anybody that you will always remember? Well, the interesting thing is I, both times I went, I was joined there by people I knew. So the first time, um, a friend, my friend Dana, who also liked Anna Green Gables and is a writer, um, met me there. And that was really fun. And then the second time, my family um, met me um, after the Ellen Montgomery conference was over. Um, and I also think I will always remember how I felt at that conference. The people I met there were very kind. And um, it was just neat to see their various interests and, and how they approach the subject of Ellen Montgomery in uh, very diverse ways. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. A group where you all have something absolutely wonderful in common, like Anne of Green Gables. Mark mm -hmm. Twain, the author, said that these books were just simply delightful and that he just absolutely loved Anne of Green Gables. And I think millions of readers have, have felt the same way ever since. And, mm -hmm. and here you were in an environment where everybody is devoted to Anne. It just must have been an absolutely beautiful experience. It was lovely, yeah. What did you take away from that in your heart, or how did that change your view of the world? Um, again, I think we talked about that being that conference experience of, like, not knowing there were so many Anne fans out there <laughs> who not only are just fans, but, like, wanted to research it and were, like, uh, college professors, for example. It was just really neat to see, like, whoa, maybe I fit in more in academia than I thought. Like, at that time, I was still kind of considering, like, do I want to teach at the college level? And it was just neat to see, like, what people can do with research. Um, so, yeah. It's very cool. Let's move on to England and France. When did you go there? Um, so I studied abroad in Canterbury, England in 2011. And... Um, from there, there were some side trips to uh, to Paris and Barcelona and Rome. So, um, but so I was primarily in England, uh, Canterbury for about three months. So. Okay, um, tell us all about it. Sure, it was a lovely experience. Um, I stayed with a host family. Um, they were a couple. Um, their names are Rosemary and John, um, and I attended classes at Christchurch University, also in Canada, or not in Canada, sorry, also in Canterbury. Um, and while there, we would also make, like the program I was a part of would make trips to various um, locales in England, like um, we went to the Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London, we went to um, Stonehenge, um, so we, we would make these kind of side trips to see sites that were um, pretty famous. Um, so it, it was a really, a really lovely experience. Did England or France or Barcelona or Rome, did they change you? Yeah, I think um, 
this was the first time I came into contact, um, into, I'd say real and like more, um, uh, like thoughtful contact with people from other belief systems. Um, I, I was primarily spending time with the Americans in my group, but it was, it was interesting to see among that group, um, just how many different ways of seeing the world there were. And so it was formative and I left with a lot of questions about my beliefs. So, and I think that that's good to kind of question our own beliefs and to, to figure out why we believe what we do. So. Absolutely. I've read about this and it, it happens on a wide variety of levels, people going on trips, but maybe with a group of Americans and then they stick with those groups of Americans the entire time and then nothing ever really changes. Uh, they eat at all the familiar restaurants, they find the local McDonald's, just that kind of thing. And they just don't really dive into the culture. Um, was there one city in particular over there, Barcelona, Rome, Paris, someplace in England, that just really left a mark on you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I did really enjoy Rome. Unfortunately, I was I had a bit of a fever <laughs> throughout that experience for some reason. I think I developed it while in Rome. Um, but we visited the like Vatican museums and the Colosseum, and it was just like, whoa, this is so amazing. That was my first like step into Italy. Um, and um, but I, I will also say Canterbury really touched me. Um, Near the end of my trip, I became more involved in this. Uh, it was like a Catholic group. Um, there are different like religious groups um, that can meet like on college campuses. And again, a very international crowd, which makes sense because, you know, Catholics are all over the world. And so I have a couple friends I still maintain from um, Malaysia, um, Yvonne and Dave. And it was really neat to get to know them um, and... Also, Canterbury is where Rosemary and John, my host family, um, were, and I don't know, it, it was such, it was a city with so much history, you know, some of the old Roman walls from way back when Rome was in England, and it wasn't even England yet, um, are there, there's some underground baths, uh, or maybe like aqueduct system, I don't remember. Um, that is under the main city, um, Canterbury Cathedral. So I'd say that Canterbury itself probably left the strongest mark because that's where I kind of walked through most days and lived. So. Well, I just have to say that all these places, the fact that they've left such a mark on you, I just find this to be absolutely remarkable. And, and I just imagine a lot of other people are going to want to travel. So Let's shift just a little bit into some practical advice for people who would want to travel. And I think people would be worried about expenses. And I think your major expenses, as far as I know, are going to be airfare, ground transportation, lodging, food, entertainment, and necessities. I would like to talk just a little bit about each. Um, do you have any advice for people saving on airfare? So... A lot of 
the things that you're asking about specifically, I do not have particular advice for. I will say that I have always tried to do travel um, in ways that make it just a little easier on the pocketbook. So for example, um, Sicily was another place I went. I, I was a live-in tutor um, with a family. So in exchange for free room and board, I was their live-in English tutor. Um, so I, I traded kind of a skill I had, um, English language teaching for um, some of the things that would cost. Um, and that didn't necessarily help me with airfare, but it helped me save overall. Um, I, I did that through a, a travel, uh, a Chicago-based travel agency called Greenheart Travel. They're all about kind of those experiences in other um, cultures, but like there's a kind of an exchange that happens between person traveling versus where they're traveling to. Um, I also very much recommend, if you're going to travel, maybe if possible, going with a friend who, who knows that place or maybe is even part of that culture. That isn't always an option for us, but when it is, like the fact that I was able to stay with families in some of these um, countries has also helped. With in Prince Edward Island, I was in a hostel that saved a lot on hotels. Um, again, also exposed me to a wide variety of, of people, which was really neat. So I'd say stay with the locals, and at hostels over hotels when that is a an option. But no matter what, ask the locals where they like to eat if you're kind of wanting to know. And a lot of times at hostels, they are very aware people are going to have questions like that. So I remember in Prince Edward Island, there would be a whole uh, a board, like almost like a chalkboard looking thing that had like the places you should go while you're here. These are the, these are this part of Canada's, uh, places, you know, make sure you do this. Um, so, um, again, I'm definitely not an expert on this. I often have done group travel as well, where some of these things have been taken care of for me, but are often kind of packaged together because of, um, how, <clears throat> um, how I've chosen to travel. So, well, excellent. There's there's only one other monetary question that I would like to ask, and that would be on the subject of entertainment. So you're over there, and maybe you're sleeping for free and eating for free or actually bartering for these things. Those are major. What about entertainment when you're over there? Well, again, I would definitely do some research before you go to a particular place and see... Um, what they're known for, um, you know, for example, in, in Canterbury, I, you might not think of this, you might think of this more as dining, but like having like a, an experience with like tea and getting some tea, like that was an entertainment experience in a sense for, for us. Um, because, you know, that was something that we really associated with, um, with British life. And so, um, I know a few people who, while they were in London, went to a few musicals because they were very interested in in theater. Um, and so I think about the things you're interested in and see what the particular place you're going to um, offers. Um, 
I think that's a great way. But there's something to be said too, just about like walking and seeing where you end up, seeing what you see. Um, I think in bigger places, it's good to have maybe a couple of destinations that you'd like to to um, to see as well. Okay. Let's say that you met an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old who just reminded you a lot of yourself, and she has the opportunity to travel cheaply. Where would you recommend that she go? Well, that would depend on where her interests lie. Um, I think if if she's kind of doing a a first experience overseas, um, she... The English-speaking countries are probably going to feel the most familiar. Um, so I might recommend like a, a Great Britain experience first or Canada. Um, but if she's more of an adventurous sort, I would just recommend that she learns a little bit of the language if she travels to countries where the main language is in English. And again, like we said, even if it can probably be assumed that someone will be able to speak English, just knowing a little bit will help that. Uh, will help her feel confident as she go. As okay. She goes. Mm-hmm. How does travel, I guess we're, we're sort of summing up, how does travel, either outer or inner, benefit our lives and grow our souls? Mm. I always feel enriched. I come away feeling richer um, when I travel. I learn a lot of things I didn't know before. I learn ways of thinking and practices I can take back to my own life. Um, And I think that um, when you travel, you discover the world is so much bigger than yourself and that you have so much to learn Um, and that you can kind of be a steward of culture. You can bring back what you've learned and you can share it um, with those around you and, and kind of enrich their lives. So kind of pay that forward. That is a beautiful concept because it, it sort of makes me, it sort of helps me with my next question is, which is, mm-hmm. let's say somebody can't travel. Let's say that they have obligations at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a sick relative, or maybe they need to work two jobs, or just maybe circumstances basically prohibit traveling. Can a person get the travel experience? Uh, just these wonderful things you've mentioned, like growth of your personality, or adventure, or fun, or different cultures. Can I do all this if I never leave, say, a 50-mile radius? Yeah. I mean, I have the memory of when I was that live-in tutor in Sicily. um, For the first time ever, that family went um, to – they took me to Mount Etna, which is um, an an active volcano that is near them, Um, and – they had never been there before. And it was like, you know, metaphorically in their own backyard, you know? Um, and so I do think there is much to be said about even in our own towns and cities or places nearby us, what haven't we explored? You know, I think sometimes we have this idea that travel needs to be something dramatic and like entirely different than anything else we've ever experienced. But You know, there's so many local restaurants with cuisines from all over the world, you know, new coffee shops, um, maybe um, places that are like cultural centers for for different um, groups that are present in your um, city or town. 
So I would definitely recommend there's so much that's undiscovered in our own backyards. So if you're someone who isn't able to, and I'm putting doing the air quotes travel, um, you can, you know, you, and that might even be right now. I mean, we are in kind of this uh, COVID frame of mind still. I might even be looking at what a museum is offering online as well, or going on to Duolingo and trying a new language. You know, just there are so many ways to have these adventures, sometimes without really having to leave your home when that becomes uh, a necessity. Yeah, I love that. I love that as an answer. Uh, in my 20s, I never really felt like I could afford to travel, mm -hmm. but I was lucky. I worked at UMKC, and it just felt like I was working at the United Nations. I just mm. met people from dozens and dozens of countries, lots of Middle Eastern countries, people from Kenya, uh, people from all over Europe, uh, people from Japan, from China, mm -hmm. from Mexico, uh, mm -hmm. Colombia, Venezuela. It was just so absolutely exciting, and I would be reading their papers and just picking up all kinds of exotic things, and then oftentimes having conversations after class that would go for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, just with one person, and just learning all about their, or trying to learn as much as I could about their society, so. Yeah, well, I think you've really hit that nail on the head, too, with talking to people, right? There's so many people in our in our cities and towns who would love to tell you more about the places they're from. Even people in different parts of the United States, like we have different cultures happening, even if you've grown up in America your whole life, you know? And so, yeah, an opportunity to talk to a person and learn a little bit more about the way they live. Um, that's a beautiful opportunity to travel. Um, 100% agree. Okay, I guess last question. So, Lindsay, let's imagine once again that you are 100 years old and you are sitting on the front porch of your house and your loving husband is holding your hand. You're surrounded by children and grandchildren and someone asks you, Grandma, as a traveler, what do you look back on most fondly? And should I travel? What do you say? Well, as to should you travel, yes, definitely. Um, and again, just let's just be reminded of the question we just had. If, if my descendant cannot travel out of the country, that does not mean they cannot travel. And what do I look back on most fondly? Um, I think I look back, I would look back most fondly on the fact that I was invited to see other ways of living and being in the world. I think that that is such a privilege, you know? Um, I feel like, I don't know, I, I guess I have the same philosophy as when someone shares something like a poem where I feel like you can only give people more. You can't take anything away from them when you read a poem. 
when you enter a culture, you can only come away with more. If you decide to come out, come out with nothing, well, that, that is your choice, but nothing can be taken away from you. So there's really nothing to lose in, in going to new places. I know there can sometimes be that scared feeling of like, I know I have a lot of like jitters and anxiety when I'm like preparing to go. I think that's just something that happens to a lot of people. Like you're, you're nervous about the plane. You're nervous about, well, how am I going to do this once I get there? And those, those are so valid. But once you're there, I think there's such an opportunity to, to immerse yourself in, in something unlike what you have lived. Even if, like I think about England, like even though we both, uh, both myself and the people in England spoke English, you know, there were, there was a different culture there and kind of just being open to that. Um, so yeah, I look back most fondly on the opportunity to, to learn and, and to be given the gift really of, um, learning what how other people live that is beautiful other ways of living and seeing the world Lindsay, Mm -hmm. thank you very very much you're welcome tim thank you thank you for listening to seemingly ordinary the biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to share this podcast far and wide until next time